This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Hey, can we talk about the thing that we're kind of avoiding talking about? And we just know when there's a time set that we're going to talk about something, it actually kind of releases you from spinning about it before that time. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, we're going to have a discussion around money and love and how we can reduce the unhappy conversations and increase the happy ones in marriage. Second, we're back with our net worth win segment. This quarter, we're featuring doctors Renee and Nee Darko from New Jersey, who grew their family's net worth to over $1 million in their mid-40s. They're going to share how they did this as a couple and how communication and partnership were keys to their success. All right, let's jump into today's show. Money and love with so much emotion around both subjects, there's bound to be difficulty, right? Well, while we can't eliminate all strife when it comes to relationships and money, we can become better communicators. At least I know I could use a lesson or two in that area for sure. To help us with this important topic, I've invited Abby Davison on the show today. Abby is a social innovation leader, a career development expert, and the author of the new book, Money and Love, An Intelligent Roadmap to Life's Biggest Decisions. Welcome to the show, Abby. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Absolutely. Thank you for talking to us about this important topic and something we cover a lot on this show, which is great. And I'm glad we can help people in this area. Can you talk to me about just in general, why is there so much difficulty for couples when it comes to money? Well, first of all, it's such a taboo topic, right? Even with somebody who you're very close with, it's hard to bring up. And we don't have any images from Hollywood or other places of, you know, a romantic story of a couple getting to know each other and then sitting down and talking about their educational debt, right? Like we just (laughs) don't see that happening. And there's this conventional wisdom that when we have financial decisions to make, career decisions, we use our heads and we think about them very logically. And then when we have relationship decisions to make, we are supposed to use our hearts and and you're supposed to really separate the two. And the truth is, that's a terrible way to approach things because these decisions are incredibly intertwined. And if you think about money decisions without bringing love in or vice versa, you're leaving out a huge element of the picture. So it it would be bad to follow the advice that we are all brought up to think is the right way to go. There's a lot of that romanticized version of marriage that's out there for sure. Talk to us about some of these big life decisions that you're talking to us about today. What, what are some of these decisions that might come up or conversations that might come up? Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about everything from I'm dating someone and how do I know if this is my person to should I move in with them? Should we get married? Do we want kids? What if this relationship isn't actually going so well anymore and we need to think about dissolving it if we're married? That means getting divorced. All the way up through, you know, my parents are getting older and how do I think about caring for them when when they're not able to take care of themselves? So really big decisions that really shape our lives and, and have money and love at the heart of all of them. 
And I would assume over the past couple of years, I mean, our whole world is flipped upside down with the pandemic and everything like that. So these dynamics of the romanticized version of what marriage used to be have probably even changed even more. Have you seen that? Oh, certainly. I mean, we all got a really up-close look at our own mortality, right, during the pandemic. And that can cause you to take stock, to take a step back and say, hey, am I really living the life I want? Is this aligned with my values? If I've committed to someone, are we still pointing in the same direction in terms of what we want? And, you know, that was certainly the true for me. My mom passed away in the last couple of years, and it really caused me to think about the legacy I wanted to leave. She left an amazing legacy. And and these really intense times can be really prompting us to do some soul searching. And I was so glad that I was working on something that was full of meaning and purpose like this book during that time, because it was so important to be committed to something like that. That's beautiful. I think that, you know, although we did not enjoy the pandemic and everything that went through with it, I think that pause that we were able to get was a blessing as well, especially during times when it was most needed in our lives to really reflect and be with the people that we love the most as much as we can. Speaking about being with the people we love the most and trying to have effective communication, effective conversations, how can we be more effective and I guess empathetic when it comes to these love and money discussions? Yeah, well, we we lay out five steps for people to take when they are thinking through big life decisions. And the first step, which is so important when you when you start to talk with someone, is to actually get clear on what you want before you even get into the conversation. Sometimes we have such knee-jerk reactions to things that we just jump into the conversation before doing the self-reflection that is important to say, hey, here's what's important to me. Here's where I'm coming from. And, and so before you even open your mouth and talk to someone who you care about or you might be even married to, making sure you're clear on your own position first. And then actually in the conversation, making sure you don't just blurt it out and, you know, decide that you're done with it, but but take the time to listen to their response. And their response might actually help you change what's important to you. So it is a bit of a dance, right? It's, it's two people talking about something that ultimately they want for their own lives. And, and you need to be open to being influenced too by what your partner cares about. Yeah, I know that I've definitely done that in the past, caught myself just sitting there and listening, but sort of waiting to respond however I wanted to respond because I had my thought right there. I'm like, okay, as soon as she's done talking, I'm just going to say the thing instead of actually listening, putting myself in my wife's shoes in this example and hearing where she's coming from with regard to this important topic, which sometimes in our relationship has to do with both love and money. (laughs) So you talk about one of your C's as utilizing other resources besides maybe you and your partner, maybe like friends or family to kind of get a gut check. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I love the check-in step. This is one that just comes naturally to me. I'm an extrovert, so I love talking to people. And you know, when you're in your own decision, it can feel very lonely, right? You can feel like, oh, I'm the only one who has ever gone through this. And that's so rarely the case. So the check-in step gives you a chance to, A, you know, feel less alone, but then also, B, get ideas from other people about how they've thought about these decisions. And and my husband and I took the class that my co-author taught that was the, you know, genesis of this book when we were had only been dating for about a year. And we were about to graduate from 
graduate school, we were deciding, should we look for jobs in the same city? Should we move in together if we end up in the same city? And one of the ways we checked in was to interview couples who had lived together before they got married and talk to them about how they pooled their finances. How did they think about combining their money? And we actually got some really great ideas that we ended up using. And, and we wouldn't have thought of them if we hadn't taken the time to, to interview these folks. So it was very helpful for us early on in our relationship. Sometimes the things that we do in our marriage or our relationship are what our parents did. And that's because that's what we know. So through these conversations, have you found new modern ways to manage your conversations around money or maybe even just the, you know, the joint banking decision, things like that, that are maybe more evolved at 2022, 2023? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're so shaped by what we saw our parents do for better or for worse, right? And And the world has changed so dramatically over the last number of decades that it's so important to make sure that you're you're telling each other your money stories so you have a sense of kind of where you're coming from but then not let those limit you right to to be able to be honest and vulnerable and do the things that build trust in a relationship while at the same time moving forward together and and the check-in step can be very helpful to not hold yourself back by by the thing that you saw most growing up or you're you're really limited to talk to the person who's listening and they're thinking you know what all of this empathetic conversation and sitting on the couch and, and listening and and then checking in with family and friends to make sure that I'm tiptoeing around the subject well enough. I am so busy. I don't have time for all this. What would you say to that person? First of all, I get it. <laughs> totally. I have two little kids. My husband and I both work full time. Like Life is a circus. So I very much have empathy for that perspective. And I would say that this isn't about you know, drawing out a decision or, you know, sort of dragging your feet. It's about being intentional and thoughtful so that you minimize regret on the other side of it. And sometimes as humans, we don't like to sit in the discomfort of uncertainty. And so we kind of want to jump to the other side of that decision just to be done with it. So sometimes feeling like we don't have the time to do the research or, you know, talk to people can be a bit of an excuse that we tell ourselves to just kind of get on with things. But Research shows that those are the types of approaches that tend to lead to regret and that actually cause us more time on the back end when we have to clean things up on the other side. I guess I like looking at things from the extremes standpoint and then finding that happy medium. So on this side, the extreme might be like, eh, I'm just going to say what I feel like and not even think about it. And the opposite side is maybe overanalyzing it and over decision making it. And I think your happy medium is, yes, you know what? Take your time, have some conversations, make sure it's thought through. But I guess is there a middle ground? Do you feel like we can overanalyze things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can get into analysis paralysis and you don't want to do that. You do need to ultimately make these decisions. But I think you're right. I think there is a happy medium and I think it's doing just enough. And, and we all have an innate tendency, right? A default state that we go to when we have to make these decisions. We actually have a quiz that we made up to help people identify their money and love decision-making styles. And 
it's good to know what your default is so that you can kind of put guardrails to catch yourself. So if you know that you tend to shoot from the hip and make decisions really quickly, you can kind of force yourself to slow down a little bit. But if you know that you're prone to overanalyzing and tons of spreadsheets and, you know, gathering all the research, you you can actually put some steps in to kind of force yourself to to make the chess move, right? And not just get stuck in the spreadsheet. So it's really good to know your type so that you can, you know, just give yourself a little push where you need it. Well, I think I'd like to take that quiz because I think I've fallen into both extremes. Uh, you know, just get this done and also <laughs> overanalyzation into spreadsheets and everything like that. There's somebody listening and, you know, they're thinking in their minds as they maybe saw the title of this episode and being like, yeah, you know what? I've got a big conversation that I need to have with my partner and it's coming up. I've been delaying it. And they know after hearing this episode, they're saying, okay, I got to do it. Let's give them one small step to begin this adventure after they finish this interview. What is the best thing they can do to lead into that conversation? Well, the best thing to do is actually make a date to have the conversation. So these things are not great to bring up when you're busy or stressed or feeling anxious. So if you're like running out the door to the holiday party and you are just ran around wrapping the present, bringing the dishes, like don't bring it up then, but say, hey, maybe I listened to this podcast episode and something's been on my mind and I'd love, can we just set a time to go for a walk? And, you know, this is something my husband and I do all the time because we are big hikers. It's one of the reasons we live in the Bay Area. We go as a family. We'll let our kids kind of run up ahead and we'll say like, hey, can we talk about the thing that we're kind of avoiding talking about? And we just know when there's a time set that we're going to talk about something, it actually kind of releases you from spinning about it before that time. So um, it can just help to just set a date and, and then, you know, think about what you want to talk about, but don't stress about it. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I've made the mistake of having big discussions like this in passing or in short periods of time, and they do not go well, my friends. So yes, <laughs> heed Abby's advice and set a date for these conversations. Abby, tell people where they can find this book and maybe connect with you more. They can go to moneylovebook.com, which is our website, and find out where they can buy the book, all the places that books are sold, and follow us on social media there. Excellent. Abby, thank you so much for your time today and having this important discussion and dedicating your time to a really important topic that I think is going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Thanks so much, Andy. This was fantastic. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing coast fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. I love talking about increasing your net worth. This is our barometer for wealth building success. Today, we're going to speak with a couple who has grown their net worth to over $1 million by their mid-40s. Dr. Renee and Nee Darko are our guests today. These two live with their children in New Jersey, and when they are not building their family wealth, they love to travel and support other doctors through their podcast. Welcome to the show, Renee and Nee. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're, we're excited to be here, Andy. Absolutely. Thank you for being here and thank you for being transparent about your wealth building journey so other people can thrive as well. So let's look back a little bit. What was your motivation for building wealth as a couple to begin with? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes to be broke, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to, to really, I think for people who aren't physicians, for people to realize that a two physician couple or household could be broke, but that's where we were. So when we graduated and we got married, we combined our finances. We had about combined about almost about $700,000 of student loan debt. I had a townhome in Atlanta that I was an accidental landlord in. So that was like $170,000, $180,000. Renee had some IRS tax debt when she was on the lamb and so forth <laughs> that we had to take care of. You know, so realistically, we almost were close to about $900,000 in debt. And this was literally as soon as we got married. So we really were behind the eight ball. Yeah. And that was not what we expected as first generation, just being first generation kids. And, you know, as becoming physicians, we we're just like, whoa, like this is huge. This is not what we expected. Yeah. So that was a huge motivation to be like, we have to get out of this situation as quickly as possible. Renee, were you guys on the same page with that when that started? Or was it like, hey, you know, this is what it is. And let's just keep chugging along. What were those conversations like between you and me? Yeah, we were fortunate. I always say that we were fortunate that we were on the same page because it's not always easy as a couple to be on the same page about these things, right? So I would say that we're, we're not both spenders. And so the, the conversations came relatively easy. Obviously, the planning of it was a little bit contentious. What should we, you know, what should we attack first? What should get paid first? But as far as overall, the overall goal being the same, the overall goal being the same was pretty easy for us to come to a conclusion that, listen, we don't want to be broke anymore. Let's get this debt out of the way and start building our net worth. What was the first goal? Did you say, we got to get rid of these loans? What was the first goal? Yeah, the first goal was getting out of debt. 
that was the first goal was getting out of debt because that had a direct effect on where we worked. Our families are either in the New York, New Jersey area. So our first job was about six hours, five, six hours away. So we never envisioned being that far away from family. We both come from close knit families. So to just kind of have a life where we are that far away from either her family or our family just really wasn't desirable. So we knew that the direct cause of that was because we had to find cheaper housing. We had to find someplace that was cheaper. And we found a great job. It's just that it was far away. So we knew the debt had to go out immediately. As we started paying off the debt, we started discovering podcasts, discovering YouTube videos, and realized that there was an entire couple or an entire community of people who were trying to build a net worth, were trying to really get to a point where they could manage not only just their job and their salary, but also at the same time build something so that they're not working at the same job, at the same position into their 60s. And that kind of just changed our entire focus because... We weren't really thinking about that. Yeah, We were just kind of just happy to become doctors and just say, this is how we're going to work until we die. And that's it. So there was no direction really until we found a community. You got the motivation. And then after finding that community and the motivation, what were the first steps that you took then to start tackling this debt? And I know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot about large student loan debt, especially when it comes to doctors and PSFL and all these other acronyms that I don't really know much about. How did you guys handle that? How did you start with that? The first thing that we did actually was we made a pact. The important thing was we made a pact not to create any more debt. Yeah, that, was huge. That, that was huge. It was like, I don't care what happens. We're not going to create any more debt. And so, you know, we shook on it, kissed on it, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> we made that pact. The second thing that we did actually was we took a look at our expenses over the last three months. And that meeting actually took a really long time because once we realized that, you know, what we were spending our money on, we definitely realized, okay, you know, the whole saying of show me your budget, I'll show you your priority. It was like, wow, we need to rearrange our priorities. Yeah, we're paying, spending a significant amount of money on food at work. Mm-hmm. Um, we were buying a significant amount of money of food at home, but we weren't cooking it. So yeah. there was a bunch of perishables that were just literally perishing yeah. away in the refrigerator. Dining out a lot. Yeah. It was just, you know, it really was just that our money was being misappropriated, if you will. Mm-hmm. And once we realized that, we said, okay, well, we need to rearrange our priorities. One of the first things that we actually did was we looked at how much we were paying in life insurance and disability insurance. And we realized that our life and disability insurance payments were much more than our student loan payments. And that's, that's when we both got angry at the same time and we're like, that's it. Like, we definitely need to get rid of this. So, yeah, and, and we weren't, when until we looked at the expenditures, what was coming in and what was coming out, we were happy to pay our whole life and our disability insurance. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's just a payment that we have to right. pay. But then we started getting our student loan payments, which were lower than that, and we'd be angry. Right. And I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Until yeah. we looked at the numbers, we're like, we're putting more money into something that's not really getting us a benefit, whereas the student loan payment, which we should be aggressively paying off, we're really angry about that. And that's where we really started to change our focus. And yeah. the first things we did is we got rid of our whole life plan for us. It just didn't make sense for us. Mm-hmm. We got a term life insurance policy, which was significantly cheaper. And then we got disability insurance that was a little bit more economical, reasonable for us. And right. that really started letting us know, hmm. Our money, if we budget better, can be spent wiser and we can aggressively pay off our student loan debt. Yep. Initially, we thought we were going to pay it off in, what, 10 years? 
think, we, well, we I think we originally thought it was going to be about 15 years. Yeah, that's true. And so we ended up paying our student loan debt, which totaled at that point $662,000 in three years because oh. we just got that yeah. much more aggressive. And I mean, that's a whole story in and yeah. of itself. Living but, apart for like seven months at a time. It yeah. was crazy. Yeah, it oh, was yeah. crazy because we started working. We started doing something called locums, which essentially is independent contracting for doctors. So in addition to our permanent jobs that we were working, we were also doing this contracting on the side. And so that required that we lived apart for, you know, two weeks out of the month at a, you know, at a time. But it brought in a lot more money for us and we were aggressively just throwing it at the debt. That three years, I'm sure, was very hard. And I know we breezed over it very much. I mean, was there a point <laughs> during that three years where you saw that number 600 plus thousand and, and it just crippled you? I mean, how did you move forward? Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem that we had was when we saw the numbers, we were like, what are we going to do? But I think when we got together and realized that her debt wasn't just her debt, my debt wasn't just my debt, and you do you, I'll do me, I'll see you in 15 years of retirement <laughs> or 20 years of retirement, we said, let's make a plan together. Let's start thinking about how we want our lives to look in three years, five years, 20 years. And if that's the case, then we're going to have to work together to get this done. So I think the biggest thing that we, the biggest win that we had was when we sold and got rid of our whole life insurance, we got a significant amount of money back past the surrender value. We took that money. We didn't spend it. We didn't invest it. We took that money and put it into our student loans. And I made a significant dent into our private loan debt. And when we saw that, we we're like, huh. This wow. debt could actually go down. Right. And when, principal. And when you see the interest <laughs> payments decrease because there's less interest accumulating on the principal that right. we paid down, then we're like, huh. This is possible. This is possible. So that's when we made a plan and said, okay, the higher interest rate is with the private loans, but it's the lower amount. Let's aggressively take that out first. Yeah. And then from there, we'll just change the line items and go after our federal loans, which are lowest, lower interest rate, but significant higher amount. And we just stay true. Now, there were times when I was down and she picked me up and there were times when she was down and she wants to get, you know, whatever it may want to be. And I may want to get whatever. We just kind of motivated each other. And then also at the same time, that's where the virtual mentorship, the podcast, the YouTubes, mm -hmm. you know, all those different things on a daily basis kind of kept us motivated. If they can yeah. do it, we can do it. I think that's a great point. There's something about this virtual community that we're all a part of that can keep you going, especially when you hear other people who are fighting for gigantic goals like you guys have. So there was a moment in time when you guys crossed over this debt-free kind of level with your student debt. Tell us about that. And then at that point, what did you do to start building wealth on the other side to grow your net worth to where it is today? Yeah, so, <laughs> so when we actually crossed over, we were, I think my son was about seven or eight months, which that was a whole ordeal in and of itself because we ended up doing IVF because we had fertility issues. So we ended up paying for that out of pocket. Remember I said we made a pact that we would not create any debt. And so we didn't. We actually worked and worked and worked and paid for that out of pocket as well. So when my son was finally born, which he actually wasn't born through IVF, and that's another story for another podcast, we felt so relieved. I remember we were at his parents' house and we had made the final payment, remember? And we took that picture and we posted it on social media. And we were just so excited, 
so elated. I wanted to eat steak that night, but his mother wasn't wasn't cooking steak. So <laughs> we ate whatever she made. But you know what? In my mind, it tasted like steak. <laughs> I love it. I told my mom that you never told it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was great. Mm. And for me, that accomplishment, especially when we realized it was the three year mark that we had paid it off from when we started, it just let me know that we could essentially accomplish anything. And so from there, it was like, well, you know what? If we could pay this off in three years, we definitely could build wealth. Like, let's start doing things that will help us, you know, on this journey of building wealth. But I will tell you that decreasing that debt burden was the biggest part of increasing our net worth. That was the biggest part. Yeah, that was a huge parachute while yeah. we trying to sprint that was holding us back. Yeah, and so we started thinking about different ways to build wealth. We started investing. Well, we were investing already, but we started invest- investing more aggressively. We bought a real estate property. So, you know, we have several business ventures as well. Our podcast, Docs Outside the Box, is one of them. I have a business for pre-meds and our business of contracting ourselves as doctors. Actually, we had grown that over about three years. We've since kind of downsized that to, to be able to focus on other business ventures. But all of that really helped us to build our net worth over time. Those three areas that you focused on, investing in stocks, investing in real estate or buying real estate, and then buying and growing businesses, that's the millionaire secret sauce. Would you not agree? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, because I'm dipping my bread into it, let me tell you. <laughs> and and we'll, we'll be very honest. Like, you know, a lot of people say, all you got to do is just, you know, get past, you know, this is all you have to do to get passive income. These are the steps that you need to do to do passive income. It's, it's, it could be tough, right? It could be hard and stuff. And sometimes you feel like, all right, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that I'm heading in the positive direction, right? Like we are testing yeah. ourselves and pushing ourselves to do certain things, you know, property manage on our own possibly, or look for more properties. It can be frustrating. And I think that the key thing for people who are listening is, is that sometimes you may feel like, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but you just know that the process is making you better. Or you end up listening to a podcast and you find that somebody else is going through the same issues as you. So there's really not that, you don't have that easy ability to kind of go backwards and say, I give up. You just know that, well, if that person can push through, then I can push through. If this right. entire community is working its way through it, then why can't I? Right. And that's been the thing for us. That's why when she says, I hope so, it's like, yeah, like we know this is the way. But also at the same time, there is like sometimes when you're just like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> you know, but I do know the status quo is unacceptable. And that's right. where we're at. Exactly. I love that. Well, you guys are at a level right now. I mean, talk about your journey on marriage, being almost a million dollars in debt, now having over a million dollar net worth. What's exciting you now? What looks in the future and you say, wow, that's what we want to do now? Well, I think 30,000 foot view, you know, how me and Renee were before we pay or even who we were before we started paying off the debt is not the same 
we're not the same people right. as when we paid off that debt that same, you know, that year in 2017 versus how we are now. And what I mean by that is we enjoy taking care of patients. We enjoy the process of taking care of very sick patients. I'm a trauma surgeon. I enjoy that. But I think we also understand the limitations that we have as individual doctors in this healthcare complex. And what I mean by that is it's very easy to feel like you're in a box. And as a result, I think that we've realized that, you know what, there's only so much that we can do in this system. And the way how we're going to be able to leave our legacy, not only for our kids, but also for other doctors, is to kind of step away from the box, kind of step away from the matrix, and kind of create wealth, create le- le- legacy on our own. So that's why the podcast has started. That's why we made it a business. That's why she's working on you know, trying to increase as many underrepresented minorities in medicine as possible, mm-hmm. but taking more of a profit model as opposed to, you know, well, the only way we can make money is going into the hospital. Right. So it's a shift in mindset. Yeah. That's been really huge. I think she reached that point earlier than I did. (laughs) I think for me, the epiphany happened a little bit later on, but it feels great to be on the same page. So we enjoy taking care of patients, but also at the same time, we've realized that, you know what, there's other ways that we can make money, but there's also ways that we can help and and have an impact in society outside of just, you know, operating and taking care of people. Delivering babies. Delivering babies. (laughs) A main theme that I keep hearing from you guys is community, service, and giving back. And I know you're doing that with your podcast. Tell me about your podcast. Tell people where they can listen to it. Yeah. So Docs Outside the Box has been out for about seven years now, Mm -hmm. right? We're creeping up on eight, but it's a podcast about money, medicine, and pop culture. Anything from what happened with Tom Brady and football and his (laughs) career, all the way to student loan payments for physicians, all the way to negotiating. We cover a whole bunch of different things and we do it in a fun manner. You can find it anywhere where you're listening to this podcast or you're listening to music. So that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is, that's where you can find it. Excellent. Thank you both for being here today. Yeah, if you learned something today, if you were inspired today, and if you laughed a little bit today, you should definitely check out the podcast. These two are great. Thank you both so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you, Andy. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I wanted to let you all know that I've got an awesome YouTube channel that you should check out. We have over 9,000 subscribers in there right now, and I'm shooting for 10,000 by the end of the year. And I think we can do it. I know there's a lot of people that listen to this show and I would really appreciate if you could go to youtube.com slash marriage, kids, and money and hit the red subscribe button. It'll probably take you 15 seconds, really. But that could help me hit this goal and I'd really appreciate it. And and for subscribing, you'll see some great stuff on there. You're going to see every Wednesday, we've got a new video where I'm talking one-on-one, solo on camera to talk about family, financial independence, And then on Thursdays, I share these awesome interviews from folks that, like you heard today, from Abby and from Renee and Nee. You're going to see all them on YouTube. So go there, hit the red subscribe button, make your buddy Andy smile, help him hit this goal. I really appreciate it. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Elizabeth Gilbert. To be fully seen by somebody then and be loved anyhow This is a human offering that can border on miraculous. Share, listen, and love your partner, my friends. Carpe diem. 